You're listening to Panthers on Tap. I'm Curtis Brown, joined by Bryson Carbley. We're just two fans sharing our love for the game in Carolina Panthers football. So join us, crack open a cold one, some bubbly, a little wine, some scotch. We don't care, whatever makes you sleep better at night. Before we dive into the episode, a little self-promotion. Stop what you're doing. Go give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on Tap. Join the discussion on our Facebook group. We have over 2,500 members. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcast. Just search Panthers on Tap. All right. This evening, we have Vincent Richardson on, managing editor for the Riot Report. I would say a student, maybe a professor of the game. He knows his stuff. Vincent, it's been about a year since we've talked to you last. How have you been? I know a lot has transpired since then. Yeah, no, I've been good. I've been good. Very busy, but but good. Well, it's good to see you. Bryson will be joining us later. He had some stuff to take care of, so he'll be joining us later on. But, um, yeah, there's been, there's been a lot that's happened since I think it was – um, it was August of last year when we talked to you, if I remember that correctly. Um, and a lot has, uh, a lot has happened over the draft, yeah. the trade, the trade, uh, to get Baker Mayfield. Um, but let's just start, let's start with the quarterback position because that's what everyone's talking about. Um, and it seems as though just from gathering um, ever since the trade happened, whether it's from Scott Fitter or Matt Rule talking to the media, they want this to be an open competition, whether they, they, they believe that inside the building or not. That's what they want everyone else to perceive outside the building. Are you buying that? I mean, is this, a, is this really a thing where Sam, Sam really has a shot or the writing was on the wall uh, after minicamp? I I don't know if it was on the rule after minicamp, after the trade actually happened. Um, I think it's certainly, he is going to have to notably outperform Baker to win the role, I think. I, you know, just politically, for lack of a better term, it would be very hard for him to trade for Baker, even though he didn't give up tons in the trade, to make the trade and then not start. Particularly given that the person that you would be starting is the guy that lots of fans are already fairly out on. Um, uh I think there will be a genuine competition. Like I don't think it's just they're going to you know, give Baker ninety percent of the snaps from day one, but I, I think it's his job to lose. No, I, I totally agree with you, and I'm, I'm, we're, I think we're all waiting to see what Matt Rule or how they're going to split the reps in training camp of who's going to get what. And I know he was waiting. He said he he hasn't he didn't as of today when we're recording this on a Tuesday. He said he was going to be talking to them this evening about that. So. I'll be curious to see how they split it up. You'd think Baker's got to get a little bit more reps because, you know, Sam is so far ahead of the game right now because he's been, he's had some installs already and stuff like that. So you'd think Baker's get a little bit more. And I'm curious to see what Matt Corral gets. I don't know if it's going to be much, but you'd like to see a little bit of him too. I mean, I would imagine he would get, in practice, I would imagine he gets quite a lot of reps. And I think probably in the preseason, there will be opportunities for him to get a lot of reps, um, particularly as you get sort of further into the preseason, you have a better idea of who your one and two are. Um, I, I think, I mean, there's been some talk, uh, I saw a tweet today by somebody sort of talking about, you know, it is still an open competition, he does still have a chance. And while I think that is technically correct, I, I think they would really rather just, he develops properly. You know, he for him, it's as much about the, the install and getting the mental reps as it is actually getting out there and throwing the ball. Um, and just just getting whether it's with the twos or the threes, it's it's just getting used to the, the greater speed of the game. 
Um, because although obviously the, the standard is higher, the higher up the depth chart you get, everyone who is playing in an NFL training camp is on the upper end of what you get in college football. Um, and even if you're playing in the SEC for Ole Miss, you still have, you know, there'll be guys out on the field playing at the college level who just simply wouldn't make a training camp roster. And I think that's just going to be that, that thing for him is just the speed of the game and how quickly things happen, how quickly you have to get through your read, through your progressions, get everything set and, and how fast the game happens in front of you. Yeah. And I, I was kind of shocked and I don't know if I should be shocked because I mean, he's a competitor. I get that, but I watched his press conference today and I mean, they asked him about almost like the red shirt, the comments about this could be a red shirt year for him. And he wasn't having that at all. Like I, I tweeted this out on our account. There was like a fire in him in, in his presser today. Like he was, he was not having this. He, he, he is there to start and he is going to make sure he's damn now ready to or prove that he is ready, which I thought was interesting because I didn't expect, I mean, I, of course, I, I, every QB there, every player wants to be the starter, but I didn't expect, I guess, that reaction from him. I don't know. I just, it, it, I was like, damn, all right, this, this really will, it is going to be a fun training camp because I don't think he's going into this looking at it like, um, yeah, I'm the third guy here. Like, I'm going to go out and compete and see what I got and see if I can yeah. prove myself, sort of thing. Two other things about it. In a week's time, you'll kind of have a much clearer idea of whether that's a, like a meaningful statement or whether that's uh, just kind of rookie optimism. I think, you know, he obviously got reps during during minicamp and during OTAs and stuff. But I, I think when when the pads come on, or not just even pads come on, but when you start getting to more serious, like full-on practice and you have Baker and, and Darnold there in front of him, you'll be able to see whether he belongs at that table right now or whether there is clearly some time needs to adjust. And I think you'll almost certainly see splash plays. I don't think the question is his arm talent or anything like that. Because yeah. that's, that, you know, you're not going to change that as a development, um, particularly. But just whether he's able to get through everything quickly enough and whether he's really on top of it or you know, if, if he's consistently having to hold the ball a long time, um, if he's struggling to, to work through reads quickly and accurately simultaneously. If, if those things aren't quite clicking yet, that will it's likely to be holding back and you'll go out in the preseason and he'll make the splashy plays. But if if he's consistently moving the ball down the field and is consistently structuring drives where he is a key part of that, that is what will put him in that conversation to actually be a, a contender. And it, starting rookies is one of those things that I think, you know, attitudes change. Probably Cam, quite frankly, was a, was a big part of that attitude changing a decade ago where he came in and was so good right away. And then there have been lots of examples of guys who've come in early and started and it, it hasn't worked and it's either set them back or, or it's, it's sort of stagnated. And then you've had players who have been held back, like Mahomes and others, who have then gone on and been really, really good. Um, so I, I think there's, if a player is ready, there is no reason to bench them for the sake of benching them. Um, but I think the attitude has shifted somewhat from if they're even vaguely ready, just get them out there and that's generally what's been the the kind of the move of the coach on the hot seat. But I think the, the the Mayfield trade changes that dynamic slightly because actually that that's the the kind of the short term good news story. And Corral is more of the the investment by the front office for the future, whether that's with Matt Rule or someone else. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And I uh, DJ had a good point today. He said that you know Ben McAdoo's offense. It's one of those things when you got it, you got it. And when you don't got it, you'll know. Like 
you'll see it. And I think that'll be a key too, is how well has Matt Corral grasped it during his studies since minicamp? Because I think he said he was going, he, he, right now he's getting up at 5 a.m. He's going to bed at 10 and it's just on the book. So I'll be curious to see how he's um, gotten the playbook down. He's, you know, he's got to work on his line. I know a, a, a big thing too is getting the line calls and protections um, through the offensive line. So that's going to be an adjustment too for him. And, and that's something that's going to help Baker because Baker had some, um, you know, he's been with Campen before. So that's going to aid him a little bit there is he knows some of the protection calls that the offensive line is going to, that he's going to need to know um, because he worked with Campen in Cleveland. So that I think is going to aid him a little bit. And I know people are saying that, you know, Sam Darnold is ahead, but that is going to help him in his progress. Do you see a scenario at all where Darnold is the week one starter? I can't. I like, I, I, I mean, unless Baker comes out and he throws and he's looking terrible in training camp, he's throwing picks in preseason. I just, I cannot see that happening. I, I think it's definitely not the most likely scenario. I, I think there is, I mean, person, I mean, everyone has different views on Mayfield and Donald. I think Mayfield is the best quarterback. I think both of them have enough flaws that, that neither of them are realistically going to be the long-term guy. That, that if, if it's anyone, it's Corral. Um, but I think it does depend a little bit on how those flaws match both with, I mean, there are, there are you know, you know DJ is going to be good. You'd hope Robbie is better. Um, again this year and you know there's questions about Marshall Jr. and you know that there are there are uncertainties in the skill positions but the offensive line is the big question right now I think if you have a if you have a much better offensive line it, it would probably help Donald more than it would help Mayfield potentially um, but where where things are it will depend a lot on how the rest of the offense looks which quarterback is most suited to that scenario I think if you're if you're in a situation where you're able to throw the ball deep uh, and you can get the ball out quickly with, with the receivers getting open off them, then I think it would be more of a genuine competition. I think the the issue will be is if the offensive line is still struggling. Donald has shown this kind of you know deer in the headlights problem that is you know he's going to be under consistent pressure. It's going to be really hard to get on the field. I think that was one of the big issues last year was that not just that he wasn't good, but that his flaws combined with the overall roster flaws in a way that meant things went very badly wrong. Um, whereas it's not totally clear how the whole offense will look. And so I can imagine a scenario where it actually ends up suiting Sam more than it suits Baker. Um, but I think that is probably not a particularly likely outcome. And it probably does involve Baker throwing some picks in preseason and Sam being really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not part of that boat. I, I mean, I, I've been, we, we've been pushing on this show, the Baker trade for a while, because I think it was, their best option for where this team is at um, just as a whole. I don't think anyone wants to see Sam Darnold again under center. Uh, no, I, I, I don't think it's one of those things. It, there's kind of two bits to it in my mind. It's not what you want to see happen. Um, I think the concern with Baker, at least before the trade happened, and I'm still not totally clear in my mind where I am a bit, if I'm honest, but it's the bit of, are you actually solving a problem or are you just simply using, you're just pushing a problem down the year? You just say, okay, well, you know, he's not. If, if Baker isn't the franchise guy, if he's just simply the guy that gets you through this year, well, then you're going to go into next off season with less cap space and less draft picks as a result, and so it's going to be harder to fix the problem. You know, it, 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 are you making a 
sufficient enough short-term improvement to deal with the fact that you're losing assets more long-term? Because if he's not the long-term answer, it, 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 the Panthers... Well, they, I mean, they got to be right about Matt Corral then, because that's kind of where it's at. They've... But they, they, they also have the issue where I think there are ultimately different timelines for different people in the Panthers yes. organization. Like Matt Rule needs, you know, for what Deb Teff can say about, you know, it's a seven-year project or whatever. If they have another five-win season or a six-win season, He's it's out. going to be really hard to continue justifying the project. And so for him, there is there is definitely a value in having someone like Baker who makes you better right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is probably, for him, the value is probably shifted more to the short term, whereas someone like Fitterer, who I think seem to us sort of take a more significant role this offseason compared to last yeah. offseason. I, he, totally his agree with you on that. front office is, is, is growing, if anything. For him, the long term is more important, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think the trade you got for Baker seems to be something of a compromise. In that. Yeah, in the, in the middle sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be... It'll definitely be interesting to see it play out. I, did, I mean, personally, I think Baker can be a franchise guy. I really do. Um, if you get him back to 2020 pre-injury, he looked like a pretty good quarterback. Again, he needs pieces though. Like he's 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 a guy who's who needs a solid offensive line, a good defense that can take you places. And he proved that I think in Cleveland. Um, and I think Carolina has some of that building. Again, we don't know what this offense line is going to be. They clearly have added depth, and we'll see once it gets all put together, start of the season, but. Uh, they've definitely made improvements along the offensive line. How yeah. much we don't know, but it, I mean, there's, there's definitely an upgrade across the board um, with those positions. And I think the defense that that's kind of, I think where we're going to see, whoa, how, how well this defense is going to play. Uh, there's some holes and we'll, we'll talk about yeah. that here shortly. Vincent, I want to ask you this because this is something that's kind of up in the air, and I'm just curious to see what your take is on it. Um, Matt Rule this week in his first press conference, he laid out like three things that are going to be things that he wants to see this year, and one of them was the offense. He said they need to establish an identity, and I think all three of us know last year we didn't even we didn't know what the hell no. that was. Um, do you have an idea of what? Ben McAdoo, this him as OC, this offense is going to look like. I know, I know, we could kind of take from what he did in New York, but that was several years ago. Do you think you have a sense of what this offense is going to look like at all? Not in detail, no. I think I, I, I think I have an idea of what some kind of key decision points are going to be. If that makes sense. Obviously, you have the big quarterback one, whether it's Baker or Sam, and I think that will also affect what you do because they have different strengths and different weaknesses. Um, you know, it. There are also, I mean, McCaffrey is the other one. I mean, I know his injuries have obviously tainted his his sort of image in the franchise a little bit, but he is probably still their best player. And how you use him, and whether he is just a conventional running back who carries the ball twenty times a game, or whether he is more of this hybrid player who can get out wide play in the backfield, do all kinds of things. And how that then affects how you use other personnel also changes the offense. Because if McCaffrey's in the backfield, you're going to have to run the ball a lot because that's the way you're going to get him the ball. Um, whereas if you can split him out wide and you've got, say, Donta Foreman or Hubbard come into the backfield, that allows you to do a little bit more um, interesting things in terms of, of mixing looks and trying to do effectively 
quite different things with similar personnel groupings and trying to exploit the weaknesses in the defense. But I think one thing with McAdoo is you normally get a sort of a quick passing game. He likes tight ends. He likes tight ends, particularly vertically down the field. And obviously that plays into both the resigning of, of Ian Thomas, it fits Tremble. Um, but how exactly the run game works, I think is going to be the first big question. And part of that is the offensive line, because if the offensive line is getting pushed and is consistently winning sort of in a more conventional um, inside run game, then that allows you to play more three wide, four wide, and allow you to, to, to stretch sort of defenses horizontally more as well. So I think there's a lot of things that need to be worked out, or at least will need to be shown how they're working through training camp. I think if they if they come out and and they're throwing the ball all over the place from day one, I think that will be an interesting development. Um, if you see more two tight end sets and maybe some even fullback stuff, probably not as much. But how how those personnel groupings I think work will be quite indicative of what they're trying to do and, and how well those things are working. And. This may be something that, unless Curtis, did you have something you were going to add to what uh, Vincent just said? I was just going to ask on the McCaffrey note, how do you think he should be used, Vincent, your opinion? Because I know that differs between a lot of people, and I feel like it differs between Scott Fitter and Matt Rule, it seems like, when they're asked about it. Yeah, I mean, it's been one of those things where even back to Rivera, you'd ask in the offseason, how is he going to be used? And you get one answer, and then you get to training camp in the first couple of weeks of the season, and you get a different reality. Um, so I think. From my view, I think you have to use him in the backfield some of the time, but I think it should be a really uh, a real mixture of between the slot and in the backfield. And ultimately, his the thing that makes him so valuable is his ability to separate underneath against man coverage, whether that's from the backfield or from the slot. Um, you know, if it's third and five, third and six, third and seven, he is an extremely valuable player who makes it very hard to to, to play man coverage um, across the board without help underneath. And that then creates opportunities elsewhere, whether that's for DJ or for Robbie or whoever. So I think if you're if you're using him, if you're giving him the ball 25 times a game as a as a backfield running back, I think that is limiting his upside. It's not that he's bad at that or anything like that, but you're simply you're you're not getting the value added stuff. Um, so I think you need to do a bit of both. But I think something like if he got 10 carries a game and 10 receptions a game, I think that would be kind of the ideal usage in my mind. Kind of some rumblings before uh, at like OTAs um, of Iquano kind of icky, not being ready um, kind of for left tackle and Christensen maybe filling in there. Um, do you foresee that happening or is it kind of just, there's no news? I, I think it's kind of, it's, it's one of those things where it's also about what the priorities are. Um, I think long-term, I think he is unquestionably a left tackle. And I think Christensen is not a left tackle, personally. I, you know, I, I think if you're looking a year down the line, I, I think that's the reality you're dealing with. Um, of course, there are some people, you know, Matt Rule, for example, and, and the coaching staff whose, whose interests are more short-term. And I think this is something you saw a lot with Rivera, was that there was a reluctance to play young players unless they were definitely ready. Unless they were sort of almost unquestionably better than, than the veteran guy, they did not see the field. Um, I think if it depends exactly where he is, but my view would be that they should start Icky and Christensen either a left guard or centre, um, and and kind of deal with it as it comes. But I, I can see a reality where if 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 Icky's just still not quite polished, or there are just you know the, those those sort of rookie inconsistencies, I, I can see if they're really worried about, about getting off to a hot start, that they would just, they, they won't risk it and they could stick Christensen at, at left tackle. I think the issue, if you do that, is when do you, you know, 
if it becomes clear that Icky is getting better and he's, and he's closer, if not ahead of Christensen, it becomes really hard to make that switch mid-season. If, you know, I know back in, in 2014, the Panthers did that, both with Norwell and, and Turner, and kind of completely turned the whole season around. But that was mostly instigated by injury. Um, and when, when you kind of, then you, you, you don't have the conflict because you don't really have the, the, the risk part of that is taken out of your hands. But I think if if they do start Christian at left tackle, I think it will it will then potentially create some internal discussions that are quite hard to solve about about when the right time is to make that switch. They need to just you dra- you don't draft a guy at six to play him at guard that high the way Carolina did. Uh, they, oh, don't, actually, you, they should absolutely not be playing him at guard. If he's ready to play at guard, he's ready to play at tackle. Like yeah. I, I I think if he's if he's playing at guard, that speaks to a more more fundamental issue with the coaching staff, shall we say. Yeah, and I, I feel like even if he does have the growing pains a little bit, every rookie is. You're you're gonna get that, especially yeah. linemen. So he needs he needs to be at left tackle without a doubt. I don't I don't I think it's I think it would be stupid to start the year because like you said, it's gonna it's just gonna make it the awkward transition when he is ready. Yeah, I mean, if, if he's obviously not ready in camp, I mean, you know, if if, if you're going to go like, okay, we, one, we're potentially going to damage his development by by putting him out there when he's just not ready, and we're going to risk getting a quarterback hurt. Fine, like you know, sometimes players just aren't where you think they're going to be, and you have to make compromises off that. But if he's if he's vaguely ready, then yeah, I agree with you. He's, he's start. Yeah, I I tend to to lean on. Um left tackles are a little bit different than quarterbacks in in the sense of being rookies and needing time to develop and learn the playbook and like Corral getting a season presumably to sit behind Baker and Darnold. Uh, Left tackles, I feel like, or offensive linemen in general, um, learn better and develop better when they're thrown in and and they learn, you know, like what, what we did last season with Christensen was you know, we waited because we thought he wasn't ready, and then they ended up putting him in the last couple of games of the season at left tackle. And Matt Rule's like, "Man, he's he's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. We probably yeah. should have started him sooner." So having that time to develop and, and kind of play through the growing pains is is something that is valuable for offensive linemen, uh, especially rookie offensive linemen coming into the NFL from a, a team like NC State. Like, not they didn't play the best college you know opponents, and uh, that's part of the reason why I felt Evan Neal was the safer pick there, but. I think Aquanu definitely does have some upside. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think that throwing him in at left tackle to start week one, if he's just somewhat vaguely ready, is definitely the best way to go. Yeah, and I think too, I I feel like Campin's got a pretty good uh, resume with linemen that when he is ready, he's going to be pounding the table for him. And I and I don't know the other coaches in the past. Um, if they have the same amount of experience, um, with, with, with that group, um, I may, I, maybe I'm wrong on that, but I feel like camp and I think it's going to have a pretty good uh, eye on who the hell is ready to go and who's not, um, going into the season. Cause he's play. I mean, he's played with some all pros and some pro bowl guys, and I feel like he's going to have a pretty good handle on that. Yeah. I think one of the nice things that I've actually, I was actually thinking about it as you were saying that was with a lot of coaches, what happens is when they get signed to a new team, they bring with them a load of sort of not bottom end of the roster guys, but a lot of effectively replacement level players who they've just coached before because they're familiar with them end up coming with them. And we saw this with the previous um, offensive line coaches, 
name has just escaped me for a second, but you know, you've got the, the Michael Schofields and the uh, John Millers because they were familiar with him. Probably in reality, that was the most likely reason why those particular players came. And we haven't really seen that this time. And I think that is a encouraging sign that you're not, you're willing to adapt and view players as who they are rather than simply getting stuck in a, in an idea of, of security because you know them rather than because they're the best player. If that makes sense. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I feel like, I feel like you've, there has been, there has been a shift in Matt rule. Um, and the way he's really about everything. I, I personally think um, over these last couple months um, and you know, it's, it's the getting players together, talking to his veterans more, having them do more of the talking, having them spread out his process or the brand um, and having that bleed through the players instead of the coaches always preaching it. And I think him adding a lot of veteran coaches and having two actual former head coaches on his team is really going to help him because I feel like with at least offensively, I feel like he could lean more on Phil Snow defensively the last two years, but offensively, I feel like he was dealing with a lot more um, that I don't know if Joe Brady wasn't handling or whatever the dynamic was there, but I feel like he's more of that head coach role now where he can step back and all these other veteran coaches can kind of take care of the rest. And I think that's, I think honesty is going to be a good thing for him. Yeah, I think it's it's certainly going to make things better. Whether it makes things good enough, I think is is the question that sort of remains to be seen. But I, yeah, I, I, yeah, McAdoo obviously has something of a mixed history. His issues are more him as a head coach rather than him as a, an offensive coordinator. But getting people like Steve Wilkes back, I think that's a, a really significant move. Huge. I think he. You know, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I necessarily thought he was the best DC or, or or head coach was hard to say, but he is definitely, he was an excellent secondary coach. And they, what he was actually best at was that assistant head coach role under Rivera, where he wasn't, it wasn't necessarily him doing anything scheme-wise or, 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 or player development-wise, but just being a kind of a leader in the locker room and, and sort of a, 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 someone who, who kind of could organize and orchestrate the, yep. the sort of the nuts and bolts of, of coaching a, a football team and, and having had that experience for such a long period of time. I think one of the issues that's always cited with sort of college coaches is they just almost a lack of credibility with veteran players. And I think people like Wilkes give, and, and Camp and, and others give you, give you credibility um, in a way that, quite frankly, people like Joe Brady don't. I've I've put these in drafts on Twitter and I've been curious to put them out there, but I've really would like to know years down the road how much, if at all, David Tepper had a say in the hire of Joe Brady. Because me personally, I just I cannot see Joe Brady as a Matt Rule hire. I get it. He was the one calling the shots, but it just seems it seems weird to me that in his first two years, he went in at OC with Joe Brady because Ben McAdoo just screams like a Matt rule guy to me. I don't know what it is. It just, I'm again, I don't know how you feel about that, but I feel like there was some push from above a little bit to get a guy, get a name like Joe Brady with the Panthers. It certainly didn't feel like some sort of natural, um, 
move because I think that was one of the things that was really frustrating watching sort of the Joe Brady era Panthers wasn't that they were necessarily incompetent offensively but it was that it almost felt like they didn't really know what they were trying to do because if you look at what Joe Brady did best at LSU it was these kind of very very RPO-ish you know lots of options built in both pre and post snap spread them out wide uh, and and you know five-man protections and that was a lot of what we heard sort of that training camp and that preseason before 2020, you know, when we'd never, never seen the Joe Brady offense on the field. And we heard a lot about, you know, five-man protections, RPOs, all this stuff. And then it just, it never materialized. And I have no idea whether that was, uh, well, there is a Matt Rule quote from the end of the 2020 season where he talks about his view and you wanting that Sean Painted offense and not wanting RPOs. And obviously then you wonder, okay, well, if, if you did, if you don't want RPOs, why did you hire a guy whose almost entire offensive sort of philosophy was RPOs? And it, it that that was even even if it was Matt Rule's idea, I don't think it was ever clipped. Joe Brady it never seemed like it was really the offense that he desperately wanted to run. It felt like the offense that he kind of mixed together and he was running that Matt Rule was also happy to run. If that makes sense, it never felt like the true Joe Brady offense, and, and that could also have failed completely. But often it just felt very very vanilla. And it could have been it could have been one of those things too, where his personnel they just didn't have yeah. the guys that he thought could run it. Go ahead, Bryce. Yeah, I was just gonna say I'm I'm a Joe Joe Brady truther. I think that what happened um, last season was not uh, the fault of Joe Brady, but um, I think he's gonna be very happy in Buffalo. I think that he will have another opportunity to be an offensive coordinator somewhere. Um, I think that a lot of the sets that he tried to run last season, Curtis kind of mentioned personnel wise, uh, Darnold couldn't do. And, um, and, you know, when he was hurt, PJ Walker, uh, which I don't even think he was uh, here around that time, but still uh, just Sam Darnold was unable to perform. And you, you go back and you look at some of the film that is available. Wide receivers are open. Tight ends are open. It's just offensive lines, not blocking. Sam Darnold isn't passing. Uh, I, I just feel like Joe Brady still has a, a route in this league, um, and I think that he will get another offensive coordinator position, and I think that he will be a, a good one once once he does. Yeah, a I, successful position. I was I was one too that kind of backed him too last year, but I've been starting to get second thoughts on him, and I the one the one was the Steve Smith comments uh, he had a couple of weeks ago, or was it was a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago. And he had mentioned he had a he interviewed uh, he interviewed Joe Brady. I think it was like NFL Network was doing their game or something. Um, but he interviewed him before a game, and he asked him about basically changes in a, uh, during a game. And Joe Brady's like, "No, we just kind of stick to what you know what we got." And like Steve Smith was like, "What the hell? Like, I've yeah. never heard a coach ever say that." Like, and. That that was and you've seen rumblings of that, too, in articles that other beat writers have put out there. And then that's where I start second guessing, like, holy shit. Like, I don't wow. is that a, is that a Joe Brady thing? Is that is that a organizational Matt Rule thing? Like, that's that's a problem. Um, and, and we've as fans seen that we've I mean, we ran stats on the third quarter, I think, every week when we were doing the podcast oh. during the week. And it was. The Panthers scored really maybe bad. two touchdowns all year in the third quarter, and it might not even been two. It might have only been one. And the other one, I think, was on defense <laughs> as a touchdown. So, like, that's alarming. So that that that's where I start to get some of the reservations about 
about him. And then I, it just, I don't know, Joe Brady just never seemed like a Matt rule guy to me, but. I think the thing that the the thing where I sort of have reservations around Brady is if, if I think, you know, you both where he came from and where Matt rule talked about what they wanted to do offensively, which is basically that the Sean Payton Saints was kind of the blueprint that they were sort of trying to build upon. And I think about what Joe Brady ran, and I think about what Sean Payton's been running in, in New Orleans for you know, decades. It's very hard for me to think of, of things other than sort of the odd play here or there, where I think Joe Brady is really adding something to what was already happening in New Orleans. He was running that offense perfectly competently, but I'm, I, I'm not sure where the vision to build upon what was already there was. And I think it's quite possible that that was vision that he had that Matt Rule did not share. Which I think is sort of some of the sort of the heavy RPO stuff, uh, you know, and and really over um, overemphasizing the five wide sets and that kind of thing. Um, but it, the offense that they actually ended up running was just kind of Saints like for me. And I, I, it's one of those things where we see what the Dolphins do this year um, with McDaniel um, because it, it's you know if you're going to run someone else's offense, particularly someone who you've you've coached under. And you're just going to run their base offense with a few tweaks here or there. It's going to be very hard for you to do anything more than just be an imitation of what you've come from, unless you've got an idea of how you can build upon it and add to it and evolve sort of the the offense you've come from. It's going to be very hard to to surpass that, if that makes sense. Yeah, and uh, the thing that makes me feel like it's it was Matt Rule more last season not wanting to make adjustments than Joe Brady is that the defense is also not making adjustments and going into the second half of games, you go back and look and it was, you know, the first half of the game, the defense looks elite. Uh, Like, you know, they're only going to give up two touchdowns a whole game or a touchdown the whole game. And then you come into the second half and they can't stop a run and, and and wide receivers are wide open. So it was Phil Snow and Joe Brady not making adjustments. So I feel feel like it was more of a top down kind of thing last season. Let's go to the, let's go to the defense here while we're at it. Um, because we focused a lot on offense, and um, Matt Matt said this week this was the second key um, to this year was the de- the defense needs to go from being good to great. Uh, what does that look like, Vincent? What does this team need to do to be go from good to great? I I it's interesting because like given how good the defense was last year, and it wasn't perfect, but it was good. It's odd that we're now in a situation where I think the defense is actually the bit that I possibly have more questions over. Because obviously, yeah, you start from the back forward, say, you know, I think Xavier Woods is, is an improvement over Burris. I think they've got better at safety. Obviously, getting JC Horn back will help. I think getting a full off season of CJ Henderson will help. But, you know, Stefan Gilmore was a very, very good corner. I don't think losing him should be underappreciated. I'm not sure they've made a step forward at linebacker. I think they've probably stayed about the same at linebacker. They've probably got better at defensive tackle, but they probably not as good on the edge. And I think that in particular, I think, is the bit where the big question is. And obviously, you know, there's been rumours about them trying to sign veteran edge rushers for a while now. And I think it's not clear what, how they're going to replace the pass rush they lost. Because if you go and look at the pass rushing numbers, they're five most effective pass rushers last year. Well, they're really their four most effective pass rushers were... Uh, Reddick and Burns, but then it was Morgan Fox and um, Daquan Jones. Uh, and losing those two guys, you know, it's not clear what you're going to, who's going to replace all that pass rush. I think Matt Yanez, um helps that a lot. 
I think he 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 is a much better fit with Derek Brown than than Daquan was overall. I think there were some you talk about the issues with the run game, but I think some of that was if you've got two guys who are stylistically very similar, it makes it quite hard to adjust um, with, with with Daquan and Derek Brown. But I think Ionidis will help that. But you know, Itogros Matos is a guy who needs to take a real step. Marquis Haynes, Frankie Lugu, you know, they are going to need someone to emerge as legitimate, you know. Maybe not a 10 sack pass rusher, but a, a consistent threat opposite Brian Burns. Because if teams are able to just double Brian Burns and double Brian Burns um, in passing situations, because they don't really see Haynes or, or Gross Matters as a threat, that is going to make it really hard to get off the field. And, you know, Phil Snow does talk a lot about how he can use linebackers and safeties and all these interesting blitz packages to generate pressure. And that is absolutely true. And you can do that. And the Panthers did that well at times last year. But if you're having to do that to get pressure, at all or at least in any consistent way you cannot blitz every single down you cannot keep bringing your linebackers up to the a gap bringing your safety down to the line of scrimmage if you're doing that every snap it makes it very hard to get pressure particularly then against play action and that was where the panthers really struggled last year was getting pass rush off of play action because if teams could get tackles hands on on burns and reddick early it really wasn't clear where the pass rush was then coming from and i think that's something that iron just does help them with i think that that signing is a is something that does definitely help with that particular weakness, but how they get past rush without blitzing is is the big question for me on defense. What is your opinion on on two of the guys that they've been rumored uh, to be looking at, and Carlos Carlos Dunlap, and um, uh, the other guy's name is, is slipping my uh, mind right now? But uh, yeah, I'm blanking he, on him too. What the hell? He played for the Giants. Sheldon. Uh, Sheldon. Yeah. Uh, okay, so so Dunlap, I think, definitely makes the more sense out of those two. Um, I, I don't think he is some magical solution, but I think particularly at the moment where it really is not clear who that, that number two edge rusher is, I think he would probably come in and, and would probably start or at least complete to start. Um, I think the issue is, is, is yeah, it's one of those things where you can't be a, you know, a, a prisoner of the past and just because you drafted Gross Mantos in the second round two years ago doesn't mean that he has to be the starter now. But this is really the year where he does have to prove. If he's going to be a starter, it has to be, be proven through training camp this year. He, he's one of the sort of the players who really is is pivotal to where they can potentially be. But yeah, but Dunlap, I think, um, particularly given that they didn't actually add any edge rushers at all apart from Barno during the offseason, who frankly is more of a long-term project who is unlikely to see a significant amount of snaps this year, barring a sort of a remarkable development curve. I think adding someone who can replicate some of what Reddick and Morgan Fox were able to do would make sense. I think Sheldon is is an okay player. I think he would be competition for Bravion Boyd, frankly, as that that secondary nose tackle. He's not. I know he had some pretty good pass rushing numbers uh, in college, but he's never replicated that in the NFL. That's that's never been backed up. Uh, and as a run stuffer, he has size and he can sort of not get moved that much, but he's not going to generate much penetration. He's not going to consistently get in the backfield. He's he's competent, but not really much more. And that's probably, he, he is different in sort of physique to, to Bravion Roy. He's sort of, he's longer uh, and probably a bit heavier, but but ultimately they're, they're probably similar players and not that dissimilar in quality. I think he would be competition for Bravion Roy. Yeah, I think Dunlap is the more of the plug and play type guy. Yeah. What he's coming off ten sacks last year or something like that. 
even if he can generate, you know, the six to eight, I think that's, uh, that's what they're going to need. Cause Brian Burns was getting doubled last year with Reddick out there. Yeah. So and I, that, I think and he's going to get, he's going to be getting that every game. Every yeah. I think, but I think it's one of those things where Burns is one of those players who is really, really very good, but also is when you do double him, that works quite effectively. Um, whereas players like Reddick and others, even if you double them, the double doesn't actually necessarily solve the problem. Whereas often with, with Burns, because of the way he rushes and because of his physique, you, if you double him, you're pretty sure you are taking him out of the game most of the time. So I would imagine even if you get Dunlap, you are going to continue to see Brian Burns get doubled. But then that creates one-on-one for everyone else. It means they then have to win. You know, if, if, if teams are going to double Brian Burns every pass rushing snap, fine. But then you've got three one-on-ones and you have to be winning some of those on a consistent basis. I think it's going to flip too defensively this year. Last year you had more, uh, you had more sacks, more pressure, and the run game struggled stopping the run. I think it's going to flip this year. You're going to have them because I feel like Ionitis is going to help out in yeah. the run game and some of those other rotational guys. Honestly, they played better against the run last year than when Reddick and Burns were in there at some points because Reddick would overset and he'd open up a lane, and he did that. He did do that a a decent amount. So I feel like it's going to flip this year. You're going to have a better run stop run stuff up front, but you're going to, you're going to lose the pressure you are. I mean, Burns is probably going to still have double digit sacks, but you're not, I mean, you're not going to get another guy aside him who's going to put up what Hassan did. There's just no way. No, no. I think, I think, I think you're going to, you're going to definitely lose that number two edge production i think the key is whether you can increase the production on the interior because i'm you know morgan fox um played some three tech and was okay but what they really liked last year particularly when nixon went down with injury was someone who could actually play three tech at a high level um and if healthy matt ionitis can definitely play three tech at a high level and phil hoskins and nixon showed really nice flashes last year and if they can both stay healthy and improve that gives you much more options and i think if you've if you, you know, I mean, the Rams have shown this with, with, with Aaron Donald for years, but if you can get consistent interior pass rush, even if it's not at a summer league level, if it's just at a good level, it takes the emphasis off those edges. And I think last year they had this, this approach and the D-line coach talked about it a bit as well, where basically they would rush around the edges and try and stuff the middle. So you're trying to create a, a solid front to stop the quarterback escaping, but really you were, you were prioritizing edge rush. And I think this year they're going to have to have a much more diverse rush scheme that the allows them to generate one-on-ones inside and get more pressure from their, their interior rushes, not just holding lanes and keeping quarterbacks in the pocket. Yeah, one, one of the guys you mentioned, uh, Davion Nixon, I'm really excited uh, to get him back because I felt like yeah. the couple of games that we did have uh, of his, he was very, when he was on the field, uh, very noticeable. So I'm excited yeah. to get to get him back. And then, like you mentioned, Ionitis will be a huge addition. And hopefully Derek Brown takes that next step this year. Um, he, yeah. he he has to as a top 10 pick and, and assert his dominance on the defensive line. So I think that's the thing. I mean, we've got the right portals and article coming out tomorrow morning basically to this effect. But you know, the Panthers have obviously added a lot of players and coaches this offseason. And, and you would hope you get better from that. But they also have a lot of young players who are either going to year two or three who need to take a step. You know, they, you know, they, they built their their roster on youth and with college coaches and player development being a key part of their ideology. And you now have to, you know, turn that into something. You know, Terrace Marshall Jr. 
has a load of talent and had a really poor rookie season. He has to have a much better season. CJ Henderson, Gross Matos, Derek Brown. I mean, Jeremy Chin has another level he can reach. There are there are so many guys who whose ceiling is significantly above where they have played to this point, um, and who are in you know, early enough that you think that can be realised. And they don't necessarily have to all get to that ceiling, but you know, if Gross Matos has three sacks again in year three, if Derek Brown is a very intermittent pass rusher, if Chin is really solid but lacks, you know, doesn't isn't improving in terms of his ability to make impacts in coverage. You know, if, if Terrace Mufford Jr. has 200 yards receiving or, or less, you know, this team cannot continue to be carried by free agent acquisitions and sort of the first round draft picks. You need, you need the players who you draft on day two and early day three to turn into more than just okay depth. Yeah, and, and another guy that you uh, that we had talked about a little bit earlier that I feel needs to take a next step, which I've been really hard on. Um, and kind of been a, a, a touchy subject is Brian Burns. I mean, Brian Burns has the ability, and last season there were so many flashes of it that this is a guy that can get 15 or 16 sacks in a season easily, but he lacks the um, diversity in his pass rush to to do a, other than run around the, the tackle. I, he overpursues so much, and you see a lot of it in the film when – Brian Burns is coming off the edge and he goes up high on the quarterback and the quarterback ducks under him and he steps up into the pocket or yeah. you know, steps to the right or whatever. And he, uh, he, he needs to stop going for strips quite so much. He, absolutely. You know, he, he, he missed at least a handful of sacks last year going for strips he didn't get. And, yeah. and obviously when you get those strips, it's great and wonderful, but you know, you'd rather have an extra five sacks and one or two fewer false fumbles, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is a guy whose contract is coming up and if he wants to be paid like a top 10 defensive end in the league he's he's got to play like it and last season he wasn't a top 10 defensive end and I think that absolutely he has the ability to be that so um be able to improve in his run defense like Curtis was saying about Hassan Reddick last season Brian Burns was just as bad at it as Hassan Reddick was so improve improving on his his run defense and then being able to not overcommit so much I think is two huge steps that he has to take this season I think with his run defense as much of it there is definitely some truth that he can continue to get better technically and all those kind of things. It is also about how you use guys scheme-wise. Uh, the, the, one of the issues they had is if you're going to have you know, Burns and Reddick on the edges and then you have Daquan and Derek Jones on the interior, you've got two guys on the outside who are always going to get pushed wide but can anchor the edge. And you've got two guys on the interior who just are not going to move laterally very quickly. And so it made it so easy to spread those edges wide, trap those two guys inside, and then you're running at B-gaps and you're running at linebackers. And I think it was the Washington game uh, where they just ran all over the Panthers and they were just doing that over and over and over again. It was, you know, get the ball outside quickly, get it outside Brown and, and Daquan, who were basically just there to stuff the run. And as soon as you get outside those guys, you're just running at linebackers and 240-pound edge rushers. So I, I think you need, some of it is putting them in positions where they can't just do that. So, for example, like someone like Ioannidis or Nixon, if you put them at the three-tech next to Burns, it means that even if you're widening that edge, you've still got a guy who can who can two gap next to him, which makes it much harder to then exploit that. And then you then you can pin the backside with someone like Derek Brown. Um, and so it, it's 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 using players in combinations where you are not just making good use of their strengths, and they do have to do their job, but you can limit the ability of of opponents to exploit their weaknesses by not putting them in positions where their weaknesses can can then be turned into significant problems schematically. 
That's fair. That that is very fair. I'm sure this game last season had a lot to do with that deficiency in, in the run defense from Burns. So a lot a lot of that was personnel as well. They basically lost by by sort of you know by the time Phil Hoskins went down about week ten or whatever it was, they were just out of protects. They they just had no tackles left. What uh are we concerned at all about Jack Thompson? He's the he was the only one they put on the pup list so far. Um, it looks like he's doing a cleanup on his knee. Um, that linebacker room isn't very deep the way it no. is with, with, with him in there. So he, that, that, that's a little alarming to me. He looked fine walking from the car after uh, dropping Baker off. So I don't know, man. Um, yeah. What they said today, I guess it was, uh, they expect him to be ready for week one. Uh, which is very concerning for me because that's a long time ago. Yeah, we we've seen that before. Um, I hope he's ready for week one because, like you mentioned, Curtis is getting thin down there in the linebacker group. We don't want to have to roll out with Damian Wilson and uh, uh, Brandon Smith week one uh, starting linebackers. I mean, that's just well, not- and Wilson, Wilson's the one that's been in trouble, right? Yeah, has he yeah. been? He hasn't even been around in OTAs, has he? I don't think he has. I don't know. You got you got little John as well, haven't you? So you, you there is there is there is there is a bit more. Really, they've actually probably got more depth at linebacker this year than they had Littleton, last year. Yeah, before. Littleton and then Smith. That's right. And then Luvu Luvu will be in there too. But I I don't think Damian will. Maybe Damian Wilson was there for minicamp, but I don't think he was there for a part of it. I thought because they asked about him, they said, "Well, we're not." We're not discussing yeah, he, him at this that, point. I, I don't know what the state of his legal situation is, but I don't think it's been resolved yet. Um, but yeah, I, I think, yeah, if Shaq isn't there week one, that's really problematic. I think on the flip side, if he's not there through the first couple of weeks of training camp, like he doesn't need more reps. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's playing this defense. He's, he's Yeah, playing. it's year three of Phil Snow. So yeah, and I, it also I means you, you, you can then give more reps to those guys behind him and you can have a legitimate, you know, okay, this is a competition for the number two linebacker role. You're all going to get reps, get out there and, 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 and prove it. So you, it does give you more reps for Bradley Smith and um, and some of the other guys. I mean, they they did actually end up cutting quite a lot of them. But last year, they went out and signed a ton of UDFA linebackers, um, in part because they were just so thin they had to fit out of the room that way. And I, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that linebacker room depth gets resolved because it's been, it's been an issue for a few years now, really. Weakest position on the team, what would you say is the weakest spot going into good old Spartanburg? Uh, I think weakest top of the roster may be quarterback. Um, or tight end. Tight end's a, a really weird position because they've got like two middle-of-the-road guys who are pretty good, but there isn't any kind of clear number one tight end there. So, but, yeah, that, that that's... Tight end or quarterback in terms of very top of the roster. I think in terms of overall position groups, I think edge or linebacker, probably. Bryson, would you agree with that? I would I would go either I like Baker, so I'm I'm not gonna go quarterbacks, but I definitely understand where Vincent's coming from. Um I would probably go either two of the positions we were just talking about in uh, end or linebacker. I think that they are really light and um, unproven people uh, at those positions, which you could say about the quarterback as well. But, uh, and I think that, you know, if, if, you know, they do not sign Carlos Dunlap and they go into the season and Etor gets injured, which he does have a uh, injury history. 
Um, yeah, you, you've then got like 230 pound linebackers yeah. exclusively, and you, yeah, yeah, that's that. <laughs> so it, it it it's a very thin spot there. Yeah, and then and then the same thing with linebacker. If Shaq's injured and can't play until week ten, or what you know, this knee injury uh, is extended longer. I mean, that group is not good to no, to put no, no. I think those are two groups where they have one guy who is just carrying the group to a certain extent, and and if you lose that one guy. I mean, Louvu obviously gives you some flexibility between the two, but he, you know, if you're playing edge and you've got Haynes, Burns, and Louvu, that's 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 thin and thin and all of one type as well. Strongest other side of that, the strongest position group or position. Wait, Curtis, Curtis, you answer the question first. Who's the weakest? I agree with you guys. I think it's linebacker, okay. D end. Okay. Um, I would probably say linebacker with the Shack injury. Um, cause you do have Brian Burns on one side, but uh, that end position. I, and again, I think, I think, I think they're going to get Dunlap. I really do. There's been yeah, way I too much like... chatter between Carlos and Scott that they're not going to find some middle ground and get him in there. Cause they clearly know that that's a weakness and they need to have someone opposite or in the rotation to help Burns out. Cause that's not going to last. Man, that, that Denzel Perryman trade hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I was talking, I was t- t- tweeting about that about a day or two ago. I get it. He wasn't available. He was injured last training camp, but man, that guy had a Pro Bowl year last year. I yeah, I, I I'm not as so. I mean, Perryman's season last year was a really interesting one in that he had a load of tackles, but was not particularly great in coverage. Like if you know, I'm looking at the advanced stats now. He allowed a quarterback rating of 114 last year. You know, that, 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 <laughs> like, you know, Jermaine Carter was a better coverage player. You know, Perryman is a great run defender um, and is a competent coverage player. Like he has, a, he knows how to play his role, and he is he is fine in coverage. But I, I I think Perryman had one of those seasons where his box score was more impressive than actually the contribution. Like not that he, but he would have been an upgrade. Like there's no doubt about you would have been an upgrade over Carter. <sighs> I think it depends what you want. <laughs> I think like it, 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 it depends what you want. Like Carter was a better coverage player than, than Perryman. Perryman, like the Panthers didn't play. I mean, one of the things that the Panthers talked about a lot about last year was this idea they want to play more man coverage. And you just cannot play Perryman in consistent man coverage. Like he's just, you know, he's just not a man coverage player at all. Um, I think he is he is a good player in the right scheme, but given how they ended up, if they'd have used Perryman exactly how they used Carter, Perryman would not have been in anywhere near a pro would be with my personal view, but it was just very different players doing different things. That's fair. That's fair. So I'll, I'll start with your, with your question, Curtis, the strongest yeah. position group. Um, I want to do just, just a whole side of the ball. Cause I think the special teams is, is a strength this year. Um, the signing of Johnny Hecker is, I've mentioned before is so underrated having a punter that can flip field position and, and pin people down deep inside the 10 yard line is just so underrated. It's, it's a weapon that is very underutilized and really not given enough credit. So I think Johnny Hecker is a really great signing. Obviously Zane Gonzalez proved last season that he's a consistent kicker. Every time he steps up to kick the ball, I feel like it's going in, which is something I've not felt in Carolina in a while. Um, and then they signed Andre Roberts, who's a pro bowl returner. So I think the special teams as a whole, uh, I think it was, 
Scott Fitter or was Matt Rule, one of the two, uh, mentioned that it's this year is the year where special teams is going to help win games and not help lose games. So um, I'm excited about that side of the ball. Yeah, I think I think special teams will be good. I think in terms of sort of offense and defense position groups, I I think the obvious one is cornerback. Um, yeah, if JC Horn is anywhere near as good over 17 games as he was over, you know, two and a bit, whatever it was, you've got a very, very good corner. Uh, I think Keith Taylor was was really impressive. You know, not not sort of all pro corner, but I think he gives you really solid depth. Um, I think you know Dante is a really good corner. CJ Henderson, if he if he puts it together, you, you've then got a very very good cornerback room. Um, I think the other one is just going to be running back. You know, if Christian McCaffrey is healthy, he's the best running back in football, and, and I, that is an if at this point. But with Dante Foreman and um, I'm, I wasn't that impressed with Hubbard, but you you have got some depth there, and I think McCaffrey is is just outstandingly good um i think the other group that could potentially join that is receiver i think if, if you get 2020 robbie and you get terrace marshall jr looking anything like what his his potential says he can be then i think you have a really good receiver room if you get 2021 robbie and 2021 marshall jr yeah okay that's not that's not great but but i think that is a room where there is there are players who have shown they can be much better than they were last year yeah, I was gonna go outliers. I was I was gonna save running back if you can get McCaffrey healthy. I think the wideout group too. I think Robbie's definitely gonna have a bounce back here. Um, he looks like he's gonna be playing with some fire. Um, he's always just an interesting guy. He's a great follow online. My yeah, goodness. he is a he is an interesting man. But Terrace Marshall, I mean, that guy's got all the potential in the world. He's just he's got to stay healthy and. Uh, he's got to also get the opportunity. I feel like he didn't get a lot of opportunity last year, and that was because of his availability too. But he 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 played like nearly fifty percent of the offensive snaps last year. Like you, know, I think it's the thing is he didn't get thrown the ball that much, but he was on yeah. the field. He was on the field a lot. It just didn't turn. Into Were we watching the same game? I feel like I never saw that guy on the field. I think um, he played. I think I think I checked the other day. It was forty eight percent of the offensive snaps. But and, I did and, not it could, that. and it could be and it could be that Sam wasn't looking his way too, and that might play into it or the QB, whoever was back there. Um, but I feel like he didn't play a whole lot last year. Maybe um, I, I trust you on the numbers, um, but he's got I mean, he looks like he's going to take off this year. I mean, what he did at LSU was, uh, you know, when healthy is something something to be special about at number three. And then don't you can't sleep on Higgins because I, I think I don't even want to say if because I think Baker is the guy. Yeah. Um, he had a you watch some of his games. I watched all of 2020 over the last week and a half um, highlights of those games, and they share a pretty good connection. And Higgins Higgins caught some good balls and contested and some tough catches. So, I mean, if that's your number four. I think you're per- sitting pretty well, and then you got some other guys that uh, we know. Bryson loves Zilstra. Easy. Yeah. I mean, that guy. That guy will be on the team just because of special teams. Uh, he's just a he's just a really competent like yeah he he's, he's just he a really competent it, player who just does doesn't do anything spectacularly, but just you know if he's your number five receiver, things are fine. He's savvy as hell. Uh, that that should be his middle name is Savvy because he's just he catches the ball. He's when he, you know, when he does get opportunities, he's he he just gets it done. He just gets the job done. I think that was the yeah. You go, go back something a little bit, but you know, 
when Matt Rule came in in 2020, there was a lot of talk about this idea of, you know, we're going to win on special teams. It's going to be the difference. And they they allocated roster spots to guys who were, you know, like Trenton Cannon was this, you know, he's going to be the special teams difference maker. And I'm not sure that really ever materialised. But what makes a big difference is having guys sort of number five, number six receiver, number four, number five linebacker, number four safety. You know, the positions where you're adding some meaningful depth as well. You're not just a special teams guy. But if you can play a really high quality of special teams and be the number five cornerback, that, that makes a really big difference. Because ultimately, there are very few teams where the number five cornerback is way ahead of, of other teams. But if you're a really good special teams player, that's where you can have real value. And Zilstra has done that. I think Stan Thomas Oliver has done that as well. I think that's a big reason why why he kind of effectively over, overtook Troy Pride, as well as the injuries. Stan Thomas Oliver became a really good special teams player. And I think that's his his best shot of making the roster this year is because he, he's going to be hard to get out on special teams. I got two more quick ones, and then we can end this thing. Um I'm just curious, Vincent. Are you more excited about this year than last year? Just from a, a a fan perspective, what what are your thoughts on this year? Is this you have a little bit more hope than you did coming into this past season? Yeah, I, I feel really mixed. I must say, I think there. I think this team should be better than it was last year. Um, and I think a lot of the things that frustrate me that they've done this year or that have happened this year are ultimately knock-on effects of things that happened last year. Um, I do think there's still a real uncertainty about where this team is headed more long-term, both because of the uncertainty around that rule, but also because, because things are being done on slightly different timescales. It's not, you know, you trade for Baker and you sign Corral. You know, it, it, there, are, there are sort of conflicting signs about what the vision is. Um, that kind of troubled me a little bit, but I do think this sh- this team should be better than it was last year. But last year's team should also have been better than it was last year. And I think ultimately it's going to be coaching that determines that. If McAdoo is a sort of a competent to good offensive coordinator, that will make a big difference. If Matt Rule improves as a head coach, if Campen can make a really big impact on the offensive line, there is a lot to work with. This, this is not a team without talent; it's a team without production. I think that was one of the really interesting things. There's some stats that I sort of saw this week is, you know, the disparity between first half and second half performance indicates that the issue is not the talent. You know, if, if your team was just bad, it would just be bad for all four quarters, roughly equally. But the fact there's such a disparity shows that it, it's the failure to, to maximise the impact of the talent they have. And, and that's the bit that I think has to change. If, if they continue to blow first half leads, if they continue to struggle to, to, to build drives on offence, that that's not something they're going to fix by making a mid-season trade or, 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 you know, someone coming back um, and playing better in in year two or whatever, you know, they have coaching is currently their limiting factor, I would say. And that's the thing I have to see change before the hope really starts to manifest. I think the uh, Carolina Panthers should hire you, Vincent. I've, I've been on the uh, Vincent Richardson as a genius train for a while, but, but yeah, uh, I, I I am definitely more hopeful uh, this season than I was last. Uh, now, I can't lie and say that I wasn't hopeful last season because I was happy to not have Teddy Bridgewater again, and I thought maybe Sam Darnold. The problem was Adam Gase and the Jets, but uh, it turns out it wasn't. So, um, <laughs> that really so, was very optimistic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kurt, Curtis was the one that was more re- uh, realistic on that one, which is usually the opposite. Uh, I feel like Curtis is normally more hopeful than me, but – um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I am hopeful this season. The difference between Baker and, and Darnold for me is 
Baker has shown that he can be a good quarterback in this league. Donald has never shown he can be a good quarterback in this league. So if if we can get any remnants of 2020 Baker, which I know everybody talks about, if we can just get a a sniff of that. uh, I mean, this is a team that led – that had the lead in 10 games last year and ended up losing the lead. And this is a team that lost eight games by one position, one possession last year. So I think Baker might make that little bit of a difference where they can win five of those eight games or four of those eight games and be, be in a playoff hunt. So I'm, I'm just excited for that possibility. Yeah. I I think Baker is a guy who, who, who can definitely win you games. Uh, I think he can also lose you games that you should win. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how how the offensive line comes together and, and the offensive skill positions work, especially how they use McCaffrey and stuff. Because I think one thing that does concern me a bit with Baker is that all the stuff, you know, ultimately they talk about you know, how you build offenses and stuff, and there are different views on this and stuff. But one of, one of the things that the people who seem to have success in the NFL keep coming back to is the idea of you get the ball in your best player's hands. And, and the Panthers, unfortunately, have DJ Moore and McCaffrey and others. But if you're not using McCaffrey efficiently, you're going to limit the ceiling of his offense. And all the stuff that McCaffrey does so well pairs with the stuff that Mayfield struggles with. Um, I think DJ Moore should benefit. I think Robbie Anderson should benefit. You know, if, if you're going to attack the ball down the field vertically, you're going to run a lot of deep routes. I think Baker will definitely help you over Sam Darnold. But Baker's weakness has always been the quick passing game. And I think when he's been at his best is when the ball has almost been forced out of his hands where you've had a scheme that really directs you, you are going to this short route. You know, you know the, the the kind of the scheme they run currently in Cleveland have run um, previously and that they brought, you know, there was the Minnesota scheme before that that Kirk Cousins has been running for years. You know, there are very clear structures of how the ball has to go. And I think when you can really enforce that and, it, and, it, and if Mayfield can be sort of, uh, can buy into a quick passing game and, and can, can, be content to make short passes consistently rather than looking for that deep ball, then I think he can be can be a, an effective winning quarterback. But if he is going to, you know, the worst version of Baker Mayfield is the guy who sits in the pocket waiting for the deep ball to come over. Um, and that's the version that I think the Panthers have to avoid because if that's happening, you're just not really using McCaffrey efficiently. You're going to put more pressure on the offensive line. And although you might get a lot of receptions for DJ and stuff down the field, it's going to be at the expense of, of moving the ball effectively. So I, I think that's the what version of Baker you get and how much he buys into what McAdoo wants to do, I think is going to be hugely deterministic in how, how he fits as a franchise quarterback. Yeah, I'm hopeful. To say, I mean, I'm <laughs> hopeful. The, the minute they traded for Baker Mayfield, I was hopeful. Before then, I wasn't. I mean, I, I had hopes Matt Corral could maybe, you know, be the guy one day, but I didn't think that was going to happen this season. And if Sam Darnold's under center, you can't be hopeful with a team like that. I'm sorry. And especially with a coach on the hot seat, I, I'm not I'm not banking my job off of uh, number 14. He's a terrible quarterback. So I am hopeful once Baker Mayfield got here. Um, I'm excited as all hell. Uh, if, if Baker, like Bryson said, gets back to – I mean, just half of what he did in 2020, this team is way better off than with with Sam Darnold, in my opinion. Um, and I think he's going to prove that. He was he was injured last year. They had some injuries along that offensive line. Um, you know, there were some things that him and, and, and this is something he's going to have to work on. But I don't think there was things that him and Stefanski saw eye to eye on 
And I think that created some rumblings there as well. Um, but to, to say Baker can't get to, back to that form, I think he can. Um, and I think his injury he can bounce back from. And if he does, I think this team is going to be better off. And it's you're going to actually want to see this team play. Um, and yeah, I've, I, always, I, I've always, real quick, I've always been a supporter of Matt Rule. I still stand by that. I will lay on the sword for him until he's out of here. Um, and I think he has changed since last year. Um, whether that's, you know, you point to the veteran coaches he's brought in. He's now got two former head coaches on his staff. I think that's going to help him greatly. Um, I think um, him taking a step back and not having to do all this other bullshit of a head coach um, and having some of these veteran coaches in there is going to help him. And I think um, you've seen it with him kind of giving the reins to his veteran players a little bit more um, in OTAs in minicamp and kind of let others delegate um, is going to be beneficial. I don't know. I, I'm excited. man. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I mean, it's one of those things where I think we'll think back to the Rivera era. And I think Ron Rivera was someone who, who was a, in many ways a very good coach, clearly had players really bought into Rivera, but had some kind of, his failings were failings that happened year upon year upon year. The same things that were letting him down in year four the same, were the things that got him fired in the end. Um, and he just never really overcame his, his issues as a coach. And I think the times when Rivera was best was actually almost when his back was against the wall and when he was forced to go against his natural instinct. He was forced to be aggressive and to trust young players. And I think it'll be interesting to see where Matt Rule because clear, clearly this offseason there was a lot of pressure for Matt Rule to do something different, that they couldn't just roll out the same stuff. You know, that's why you get McAdoo. That's why you get Mayfield. That's why you get a lot of things, I think, is because it was clear they couldn't just roll out the same thing again. And I think whether whether that changes rule, whether the rule is actually able to, to adjust and genuinely change how he approaches things, or whether it's just the surface level, you know, we'll move some deck chairs around, but ultimately it's going to be new. Changing the superficial stuff and changing things when you have time to sort of think about it and be dispassionate is, I think, very different from when you're actually in the emotions of the moment and you have to make those decisions. And and whether whether he is willing, you'll see it through training camp, whether he's willing to to make the right calls with with not just playing the play. You know, we talked about Equanu earlier. If they if they keep, if they're not playing Equanu, if they are starting Christians at left tackle and they're being cautious and they're not really looking at the long-term picture and it's all about saving his job i think that will be a net negative um it's about actually manifesting the stuff that you talk about when you've got all the time in the world and you're standing at a podium and you know you're not actually having to make a decision whether that actually goes from stuff you say at the podium to stuff that you actually do i think will be the big thing for him because you know every coach says the right things in 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 july and august because it's easy because no one's coming and scoring touchdowns against you. Um, whether whether you can actually stick by it and actually do it when you're you know down five, come week three, that that's that's that will be the thing that I think will convince me one way or other on that rule. Bryson, you got anything else to add? You good? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I got a question for for Vincent. One more, unless you uh, did you have something else? Okay, so uh, I just wanted to 
because I, I know you're a realist and um, you, you, you kind of think without emotion of being a fan. So uh, if, if this team does roll into the season with Baker as a quarterback and Christian McCaffrey stays healthy and the defense, uh, I guess, stays the same, maybe improves a little bit, maybe and loses a little bit, uh, what is a realistic record uh, for this team next season? Um, I think if things go well, so, you know, the, you know, not see things go sort of unbelievably well and, you know, everything sort of the rainbows and sunshine, but if, you know, a, a realistic good case scenario, I think is say 10 wins. Um, I think that exactly how close to that they get will depend on a number of factors, some of which are health, obviously, in every team, if you get loads of injuries, I mean, you, you 2016 Panthers were just completely destroyed by injuries. So any team can always be undone by that. But I think if if the coaching improves and, and they have a, a sort of average or above average sort of uh, offensive scheme and, and surround Baker with, with, with the opportunities to be effective, I can see it's being sort of a yeah, 10, 10 win team, I think is a realistic best case scenario. Okay, cool. The worst case scenario is not. Good. All right, real quick. <laughs> no explanation. Just give me a name. Training camp MVP. Let you guys sit there and marinate a little bit. I'll go first because I just like this guy, but I think it's going to be Baker because he's going to win that. He's going to win that job over really quick. Um, and yeah, that's what I'm going to go with Baker Mayfield. That should give you guys enough time to. Uh, I'm going to go Terrace, with... maybe? Terrace Marsh? Yeah, I'd I, I, Sorry. I, no, I'd I go, I go Terrace. Terrace is yours? Okay. I'm, I'm going to go with J.C. Horn. I think J.C. Horn is going to come to camp and uh, really show that, you know, he, he took the season off, yeah. obviously, because of injury. Um, he's been working out a lot. We've all seen the videos on Instagram and on Twitter. I think that he's going to come in and, and show that he is a, an elite corner in this league. Um, I think he's better than Sertan, and Sertan had a great season, so – uh, we will see, but I think that Horn is going to come in and intercept some balls probably from Darnold. Uh, Darnold will probably make him look a little better than he actually is, but uh, but yeah, I think that uh, Horn's going to have a good season. Yeah, I think he, you know, he, give, given all the stuff that's surrounding that selection, I think he, he looked really good last year in the games he played. And I think if he can, if he can sort of turn that into a full season's production, I think he has a chance to be sort of a genuine corner piece. Well, let's leave it there. Vincent, thanks so much again for coming yeah, on. It, it's It's been a while. We appreciate it. Um, all your insight. It's always good to hear from you. You can give Vincent a follow on Twitter. It's vrichardson444. Also check him and our buddy JJ out. They got Scouting the Culture podcast. That's another good one to listen to. Um, but pleasure as always, Vincent. Yeah, thank you. It's been it. good. Thanks, man. Thanks. Bye. We want to thank Vincent again for coming on. It's always good to hear from him. We just want to thank everyone for listening to Panthers on Tap podcast. You can catch all of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on Tap for all your analysis and breaking news. And as always...